We do a lot of those things like that. It's what we call liturgy. And we do those kind of things every week. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. My prayer is that we know exactly what that means when we sing it. Do you? You're praising him for who he is. Well, we're in the Sermon on the Mount in our, in our study. And, uh, you know, last week we began the end of the sermon. We said Jesus is done now. He's made all of his points. He's, he's done his three points in a poem, right? No, Jesus says he, he's done everything. And uh, he told us in chapters 5 through 7, 12, up to that point, uh, he told us, I've told you who you are and how you are to live, and now it's time to do something. Uh, we're not supposed to think about Christian life. We're supposed to do it. I hope you got that, and I hope you're getting that as you read God's Word. We're not doing anything to earn our salvation. We're doing what Jesus tells us to do to be his people, to be his children. We're called into action in Matthew, Matthew 7, 13 through 14, with Jesus doing the calling. Listen to what he says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Lord, please add your understanding, your blessing to the reading of this scripture this morning. Amen. Let's talk about this just a minute. About what this call to action means for those who have, who have answered his calling. And I pray that everybody here has. If you haven't, talk to me, talk to anyone around you that you would answer that. But here's something we have to do. First, what does this mean? First, it means that Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, these principles that he's given us back in the Beatitudes and, and then right after all of that in chapter 6, he's given us in this sermon throughout all, and throughout all of, his, all of his word is something that demands a decision and it demands a commitment. It's not for the wishy-washy. You can't avoid this, folks. It's part of the very fabric of the New Testament presentation of the truth. Jesus says, I'm the truth. It's God's truth, his living truth right in front of us. It's not a philosophy of life. We talked just a little bit about how Paul addressed that uh, in, in Acts this morning at the, in Athens. It's not a philosophy of life. It, and it's not chosen cafeteria style. I'm afraid that's the way a lot of Christians try to teach it. A lot of people call themselves Christians. You have to pick and choose what you like. Uh -huh. We do exactly what Jesus tells us to do in his word, his whole word, the whole gospel. It's not a philosophy. It's not something that's developed and polished up as life goes on. It's not a hobby, like a hobby, where you kind of get better at it as you go through life. It's not the way it is at all. The gospel is not even like anything that the rest of the world has to offer. It's different. We're different. The gospel is something that demands control of your life. Jesus comes to you and me and, and, he, and he calls you just like he did all the people that he called in the Bible. When Jesus called his disciples, Scripture said said to every one of them, and he says to every one of us, are you ready for this? Just two words. I think you can remember this. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. 
Don't go follow Buddha. Don't go follow someone else. Don't go follow your favorite philosopher. Don't go follow, follow some TV somebody. Jesus says, follow me. You can't talk about the glories of the kingdom of God, and you, you can't even talk about how the indescribable love of our Savior. You can't talk about that if you're standing far off making comments about it. You have to follow him up close and personal. That's who Jesus is, and that's what he says to you and me. It's the narrow gate that we talked about last week. And here's the thing, folks. The narrow gate must be entered. You can't stand back and look at it. You have to go through it. It's amazing to see how many people have convinced themselves that that showing interest in the gospel and agreeing with it and They've done all of this without a decision, without a commitment. They think, oh, well, you know, this may not be a commitment, but I agree with Jesus. I think he's a great guy, and I like everything that he said, and that ought to be good enough for Jesus. It isn't. Jesus says, follow me, and that takes a commitment, and a commitment takes action to follow Jesus. So it's time for us to to ask the real test question. We talked a little bit about it last week. Are you ready for this? Have I committed myself to his way of life? Are you committed to Jesus' way of life? Does it control my life? Does Jesus' way control me, every thought, every action, everything that I do? We've heard Jesus tell us what he expects to do, and now we are to follow his teaching. And you know what? This response requires a clear and definite act of your will. You have to act. You have to do it. You have to say, Jesus, I recognize this is a calling from you. You're my Lord and my God, and I will follow you. I will trust you wholly and leave out all of my concerns and everything outside this narrow gate. I'm going to leave all my baggage behind. You know what? I don't know about you, but in my personal life, I said, okay, I'll leave my baggage behind. Whew! He spent a whole lifetime showing me how much baggage I was carrying. Had no idea. And that's what we need to be doing is leaving that baggage behind and following him. Him and him only. have to say, Jesus, I believe you, and I'm going to act on it with my life. Uh, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite people. Those of you who know me know how much I read of him and I appreciate him. Um, He actually talked about one time there was a church in church history. He was a great church historian. There was a church in church history where all the people realized this. It took some sort of action. They had to make a commitment. So you know what they did? They all wrote up a legal contract between them and God and listed all of their assets, everything that they had and everything that they were. They put on a piece of paper, had a lawyer notarize it, and gave it, sealed it up and gave it to God. Would you be willing to do that? The only one that's going to read it is God. 
Let me tell you what, if you're a believer and you're living out the life of Christ, then you are doing that. It's something that needs to be done, doesn't it? That's what it, it means when we walk through that narrow gate and the way is straight. That's what it's going to take, folks. Leaving all that baggage behind and giving it all to God. It's called action. So it first demands a decision, and having looked at the truth and deciding to do something about it, the second thing we have to do is that we have to head for that narrow gate. We have to go after it. You have to pursue it. Look how Jesus describes it. He says, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Not many people do it, folks. Why is that? Because very few go after it. That's one of the biggest problems with today's Christianity. People listen to the truth, and they, and they read it. They nod their heads in agreement, and, and, uh, but never do anything about it. They don't seek the narrow gate, do they? And that's the way Jesus is going. The same one who said, come follow me. So having seen the truth and agreed in heart and mind and soul, the dialogue with yourself should go something like this, I think. What, what do I have to do today to go after the Jesus way? What do you have to do? When you get up in the morning, do you ever ask yourself that? The narrow gate and the hard path. Really put truth into action. What do I have to do to follow him, to pursue him? And the reason you have to ask this question is that the way and to pursue the answer until you find it is because it's hard. It didn't make it easy. A lot of examples in the, in the Bible of those who pursued God and struggled with him. My favorite is Israel. Remember him when he, he wrestled with God? Do you know what Israel means in Hebrew? Wrestling with God. Striving with God. Israel, God's people, were to strive with him, to wrestle with him, seek him. Fight with him, I guess, is the way a lot of us see that. But no, it's striving with him, struggling. Hmm. Uh, Martin Luther, you've seen the movie if you hadn't read the book. You know, he, he, he struggles, doesn't he, with God. He struggled in that monastery, and he wouldn't let go until God gave him the answer of his calling. John Wesley, the guy that I studied when I was growing up, he fought years Years struggling, trying to find out what God wanted him to do. They all did, and God used them, but they struggled. We have to do the same thing, I believe. It's a constant struggling with God. He says, come. He says, follow me and do that. There's a whole lot of people, I think, we can read in church history. Go read Fox's Book of Martyrs and read, read how those people struggled. But you know what? They struggled with God. I think there's a whole lot of people we've never read about, never have been recorded in history. We're going to be gathered around the throne with, I hope, that, that do the same thing. They're struggling with God. And, and Jesus tells us, all, all of us, right here in this passage, that we are to do the same thing. In other words, we have to go after the narrow gate until we find it and go through it. You only go through it when you've sought it and you've found it. Third step. Third step is you have to commit to the path. Commit to the path. It's a continuing one, and let me tell you, it's hard, isn't it? You know, if you ever feel like you're struggling in the path, come. Come up here. There's a lot of us that gather together during the week. 
different places, but up here and everywhere. Because you know what? We're struggling on the path, but we know that Christ is here. And we come together and pray to him, and he's with us. He gives us all the strength we need. We, we, we don't like to talk much about the hard path, you know, uh, so we don't. Because we don't like it. We don't even want it. We talk about it like it's not even there. You know, we should wake up every morning and have that talk with self. I used to have a friend I worked with out in California to get up every morning and say, Self, we need to have a talk. You know, I, he was weird. <laughs> we need to do that, though, don't we? Need to talk with ourselves and say, you know what, it is a hard path before us today. I can't do it without Jesus. I don't know about you. I have to have my Lord right in the middle of everything that I do, or it won't happen. And a lot of times it gets botched because I get in the way. It's hard, folks. We have to give him and let him do all the streak. You know, you say I'm a unique person. I'm not like everyone else, but I belong to the family of God. I know there's a lot of temptations and trials, and I know the devil's really slick. He's tricked me a lot. He is out there, and he's just waiting. But you know what? Those subtle moves of Satan, I don't belong to him. I belong to Jesus. He's the source of all of my strength, and he never leaves. I appreciate your testimony. He, he, he doesn't leave us. We keep going to him. We stay with him. When you see the truth, you have to do something with it, folks. And you enter into this practical relationship with it. The truth is a person. And he has a very practical relationship with you, too. So what are the reasons that you, have my, you and I have made this commitment? You know, that's a good question to ask. Why have we done this? We have made this. So what, what is it? You know, Jesus never told us to turn our brain off. I'm afraid there's a lot of people that, that preach that. You know, okay, let's just let her all go and turn that thing off. Mm-mm. He never said to do it. He wants to follow him, what, with all of our being, our heart and mind and soul. Whoa, that got everything, didn't it? It's my whole being. That's what he wants us to do, use everything that we have. So let's ask, seek, and knock and see if we can find the answer to that question. We'll ask our leader on the path. Who would that be? Jesus. That's who we're following, right? The first reason he gives us for entering the narrow gate is the character of the two lines. We have to weigh them against each other, right? The wide gate and the narrow gate. Uh, You know, here's the thing. When we're given that, we look at the wide gate all day long, the world around us. We look at the narrow gate that's hard and straight, narrow and hard to get through. We say, well, you know, let me think about this a minute. Do you do that? We can't do that. If we know who Jesus really is, we love him with all of our heart and soul and mind. We, we know what he did on the cross that we just celebrated a while ago. But when we know all that and you think about that, there is no pondering on it. <laughs> uncle Walter, you know, we used to have an uncle. He used to say, well, you know, I'll ponder it. No, you can't ponder it, folks. Hmm, let me think about it. If we only understood the truth, if the people around us only understood the truth, there'd be no delay in any decision about Jesus, would there? The reason we hesitate, it's really hard to separate ourselves from the, from the life in this world, but we have to. That's why God set us aside one day of the week for us to come together and to worship together, but also during the week to come together and to fellowship together. When we meet together to worship, we, we step out of the world and we look at it objectively. It's, be, it's great to be able to do that this morning, isn't it? Think we could go on down here to the uh, 
to the uh, grocery store and, and have the same meeting? Yeah, you know, got too much noise, don't we? Think we could go on down to the, to the Raven Stadium and, and have this same meeting, this conversation? Probably not. Yeah, too much noise. Amen? Amen. Of the world, and that goes on all day. But you know what? When you do step out of it, you start seeing things objectively Jesus' way. You start seeing the way that he showed us. Go back and read the Sermon on the Mount and look and see what he's taught us and what he shows us every day. That's what we are to be living. So here's the thing. We're weighing these two kings, the narrow gate and the, and, and, and the wide gate. So let's do, just for a minute in your mind, I'm not going to do it physically, in your mind, let's go over here. To, I'm going to pick on shoppers. Let's go over to shoppers. We're going through, through the line, out of the grocery store line. And right there on that stand, that newsstand right there when you're checking out, are all the ways that you can be of the world, right? Wow. I got it. You have to ask this question. They've chosen the wide gate. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just telling you that lifestyle that we see there, right? They've chosen the wide gate. So let me have to ask myself, are they really happy with that life? Do you think that you would really be happy with a life like that? And I know you're thinking, oh, maybe just a minute. (laughs) No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't at all. You know what? That wide gate, those people... uh, I can tell you, I wish we had time to go back and read some of the testimonies of people who have chosen the wide gate. And some of them are brilliant. Some of the greatest philosophers, the greatest heads of state that ever lived chose the wide gate. And if we could be with them their last hour on earth, what do you think is going through their mind? Hmm. And let me ask you this. It's something that we always ask. Where are they going to be 100 years from now? And where are you and I going to be a hundred years from now? You know, our last hour, I, you know, my last hour on this earth, I pray that I'm cognizant enough to know that Jesus come quickly. I know to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. And to be in his presence is to be in his love forever and ever. Amen. Uh, you know, when... Um, uh, Paul wrote to the Romans. He was, they were looking at that wider gate. He said, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You know, you look back on your life and you think, whoa, there was a time when I was going on that wide path. Yeah, what was really going to happen? What was really going to happen? Where were you really headed? Hmm. You know, all those fancy clothes or all that, those fast cars or what, what is it really worth for people to admire those, to adore those things? What an empty life. We have treasures waiting for us in heaven, guarded by God himself, where Rust destroy, not where rust destroys or where thieves break in and steal. None of that stuff can be taken from us, but it can be taken from the things of this world, right? Peter calls it the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. You know what that says to me? There are no new temptations. They've been, it's been going on forever. You think all this stuff is new? Nah. There's no new sins. There's no new temptations. You know, the, the, the latest Xbox may be, 
You think it's more sinful than the first one? No. It's all the same. Separation from God. No matter what it is. Separation from God. And it's been going on since the fall. You know, it looks like to me these people think about that all day long. There's really no thinking going on at all. They just want to enjoy the immediate pleasures. And, it, and, and, and they're just there for a fleeting moment at best, right? We have something to look forward to that's way ahead of that. So, you know what? The new nature, the one that we have going through the narrow gate, it's so much different, isn't it? So much more that we have to look forward to. It, 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 it's like, and the people who say that that way is best, they've never known Jesus. They've never had Christ to come into their heart. You know, it, it's, how do you explain that to someone? You know, the, the narrow gate in the modern sense is just a whole lot something that they can't understand because they've never seen Christ. You know, it's kind of like I went back to my home state and someone says, you know what, I prefer poke salad to Ghirardelli chocolate. They've never tasted exquisite cuisine, have they? And they've never tasted Christ or they'd want him. So look, there's a character in the nature of the two lives. You'll find this argument goes throughout the New Testament, through all the epistles and the the, the writers always describe this new life basically. You don't want to go back to that old life now, do you? And let me tell you what. If you have left the old life, you don't want to go back to it. They remind you of the two lives. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and there's easy, easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Um, anybody who heads down a path without thinking about it, hmm, doesn't really make a lot of sense to him, does it? That'd be someone who's living for the journey. When someone says, I'm choosing the journey over the end, and folks, that's where we got to be careful. Because the journey seems so much fun, doesn't it? Something we can do now. Maybe we can just slip in later. You know, slip into the right end later on. It doesn't really work that way. You know, one of the greatest examples, let me, let me go leave it. Back in 1991, there was a movie called Thelma and Louise. You remember that? That was one of the most famous movies ever. And as a matter of fact, it won the most Academy Awards in 1991. But you remember what it was about? It was about these these two women um, who made a series of wrong decisions. Think about it, didn't they? And it just kept mounting up, mounting up. and, And it's made for a really exciting run from the law. He just, I mean, the movie was exciting, wasn't it? I didn't think so that much, but a lot of, most people do. <laughs> Hollywood cast them, their predicament as being in a culture that has gone wrong. And they were, they were wading through in spite of the fact, you know, that they, they murdered people along the way and did all kinds of things. And it, and it ended going off into the Grand Canyon. Uh, but it was an exciting journey, wasn't it? Made for a great movie. Made a lot of money. And all along the way, though, there was this law enforcement officer. He was, he was the one that I kind of liked because he can't symbolize something to me anyway. He was trying to offer them a way out. If you saw the movie. And, and, and they, they preferred to do, though, what, what seemed expedient, what was 
seemed right for them at the time. And uh, every situation, it got a little bit worse, didn't it? But the, the trip was full of excitement right to the end when rather than to accept the way out that would have saved their lives, they drove off into the Grand Canyon. It seemed like the right thing to do at the time. It, 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 made, it was an easy decision to, to make, right? The way is easy that leads to destruction. Jesus says that right here. It's hard, folks. Anybody who lives for the journey and not for the end, it just doesn't make any sense, does it? To live for the journey that ends in destruction. In Scripture, we're always being reminded to consider the end of life and, and, and what our life choices bring to us at our end of the life. You know, remember uh, John says, for the wages of sin, uh, Roman, uh, Paul says in Romans, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, that's spiritual death, separation from God, folks, and as well as suffering forever. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So if you find yourself thinking that this Christian life is a little irritating sometimes, uh, just think of where, where the path is leading you. It's not about the journey. The journey is building you up and building you to what he wants you to be. It's about the end. Take a look at those around you who are running, running you down the wide path and, and they're having a good old time. What will they be doing 100 years from now? And what will you be doing 100 years from now? That's the real question. But this other life leads to an abundant life. It begins by giving new life and giving a new outlook and a new way to, to see everything, new desires, new everything. And you go down this narrow path, it becomes greater and it becomes more wonderful, doesn't it? I want you to think back. Have you been with the Lord for a long time? I don't know whether you've been with him five minutes or, or 50 years. You think back on your life with him. It's wonderful, isn't it? Think about where you've been and, and, and how wonderful he is, how powerful he is through every situation, how he loves you forever no matter what you do. If we could go back and look at those people we were just talking about, those philosophers at the, with an hour left in their life, I wish we had time this morning. I've read some of their last-minute testimonies. A lot of them recanted their whole lives. These were heads of states. And people who were really powerful thinkers, and the world looked up to them, and yet at the end of their life, they were dreading what was coming next, all of them. It was because for them it was all about the journey, not about the end find their last words to be in fear and, 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 and turning away from what they've done. And here's the thing you need to remember. They were never really given the details of their journey. All they knew was that it leads to destruction. This other life leads to an abundant life, and it begins by giving a new life, a new outlook. Everything's new in Christ. Uh, it's hard in the world. But it's new in Christ, and it's great living in his love. And, you know, Peter, Peter says you're headed to an inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Let me tra translate that for you. The treasures we have in following Christ at the end game, when we go through that end with Jesus, the treasures are waiting for us in heaven, and nothing can take them away. And you know why? 
God is guarding them himself. That's what it says. That's what Peter is telling us. The the truth the world doesn't see is that we're already on the wide path to destruction. That's the problem, folks. And here's the problem. To make no decision is to make a wrong decision. You know what? If you've not made a choice, then we're still on the wide path. There's a problem. If you've never made that choice, if you've never stopped and made the choice and the commitment to follow Jesus Christ, do it now. You don't know when it's going to be too late. It takes a commitment, and it takes a daily commitment, following him all the time. He said to everyone, follow me. Follow Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Cross was an instrument of death. That means dying to yourself, to your old self, and following him every day. You know what? Jesus says, follow me. And knowing him and know who he is, if there was no other reason to go through that narrow gate, that's good enough for me. Knowing that Jesus is the one that says, follow me through it. Now, that'd be a great place to leave this passage. But I need to just do, say one more thing, one more thing about it. And then we'll move on to another passage. One of uh, one people, some people might ask the question, um, isn't this saying that there's a time in our life when we're neither saved nor lost? We're kind of in limbo. We're kind of in between. When we consider any question about God and about Christ and his word, we have to consider the whole Bible, not part of it. Paul calls it the whole counsel of God. We read that this morning. You have to look at the whole thing, and I hope that you do that. That's why we encourage you to read God's word every day, all the time. You know, he's revealed in there in every passage, in every sentence. I wish we could do this. If you want to come sit with me, I'd love to do this with you. I can tell you this. Jesus Christ is on every page of your Bible. From the Old Testament all the way to the end of the New Testament. He's there. Every part of it. And all the way he's saying, come follow me. Follow me. Come to Jesus. Scripture plainly teaches that that all of us are born sinners. Children of Adam. Dead in our trespasses. Dead in our sins. And Jesus is telling us right here in this passage that we have to make a choice between staying there and following him. And if we make that decision, it's a gift. His salvation, he gives us. We can't earn it. He gives it to us. The truth in no way contradicts the rest of Scripture. It says we have to be born again and we have to receive a new life in Christ. And we have to become new creatures. He tells us that all the way through there. That we are children of the we are children of the world, children of Satan, until we become children of God. And every one of us can do that. The offer is there. Jesus says in Revelation three twenty three, "Come, I stand at the door and knock." There's one other question here, a theological question that some will, will raise: Is Jesus teaching us that that um, that it's our decision and our action that saves us? He says, "Enter enter the gate." And follow me on the narrow path to eternal life. But if you don't, you will end up in eternal destruction. 
Again, we have to look at the entire gospel plan, what Paul calls the whole counsel of God. If we have to always compare Scripture with Scripture and note that it does not contradict itself. Never does. And it tells us that we all are justified by faith and saved by death of Christ who, who died for us. He came to seek and save the lost. Um, none is righteous. No, not one. And we're saved by the grace of God. Grace means gift. It's the gift of God. You can't go and buy it. You can't go and trade for it. It's a gift from God. We're saved by the grace of God, and we can do nothing to earn it. So what is Jesus saying here? What is he saying? He's saying do something. We cannot do anything to save ourselves. So choosing the narrow gate is not really what saves us. Walking through it does. He says, come, follow me. Walk through the gate. Receive his gift of salvation, his gift of grace. Just walk through the gate. The only one who enters the gate is someone who is saved. Paul wrote, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Jesus is not leaving, leading us to a point of, a, of believing that a person of the world will never take the narrow way because it seems foolish. What he's saying is the same thing he said to us back in the Beatitudes. It's not because I make myself poor in spirit that I'm blessed. It's when I realize I am poor in spirit that I'm blessed. And Jesus is right there. Jesus is right there to meet you at that point. By being and doing these things, we proclaim that we are who we belong to. Only a believer in Jesus Christ will enter the narrow gate. You enter it and walk in it because you're saved. One more thing, real quick, and we'll continue our walk in another package, uh, passage. Someone may be asking, uh, does failure at living the Christian life uh, mean I'm still on the wide path? Am I going the wrong way? You know, look, we looked at Jesus' description in detail, and we have a pretty clear picture of what Jesus expects in the Sermon on the Mount. But I still fail. Is that you? Is anybody here? Huh? You know, I, I don't always turn the other cheek. I grew whiskers, so it would be a little bit easier to take. <laughs> I don't always walk that extra mile when I should. Um, so am I still going the wrong way? Am I on the, on the wide way? Have I not made that narrow gate? Let me give you an answer. One word. You ready? No. Ask yourself, have you committed to follow Jesus? Have you given your heart to him? Have you made that commitment? Have you chosen his path? Is this the life you want to live, to follow him? Is this the person you want to become, the one you're following, Jesus Christ? He says that's what he'll do. I assure you, if you made that commitment and you can say yes to that, then 
you're saved and you're on the right path. You've made it through that narrow gate. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst for it. Someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is not sinless or perfect. There's no one in this life who is perfect. What Jesus is saying, look, my people are the ones who follow me, those who are striving to do that, struggling to do that. They've entered the narrow gate and are following the straight path. And they may fall on the path, but that doesn't mean they've, they've left it and gone over to the wide path. They often fail and fall into temptation, but when they do and acknowledge it, I'm faithful and just to forgive their sin, and we go on walking together. Do you know that? Let me tell you what, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've fallen. Admit it. And if you've taken it to Jesus Christ, he's forgiven you. And you know what? You're still walking with him. I love there's there's a picture in Psalm 27, I think it is, when so is God and man and the psalmist is walking with God and he says, you know what? I may strip, I trip, I may I may stumble, I may even fall, but you won't let go and you won't let me fall over the cliff. He said, I'm with you. He said, I know you'll never leave me. You know what? If you never made the choice to walk through that narrow gate or to go after it, do it. Do it now. Don't wait. Just do it. Follow Christ. Give him your heart. Take all of that that's wrong in there, that's anything that's bothering you and all that sin. Confess it means turning away from it and give it to Christ. He died for you. He took all that sin that you have that you think you're carrying with you, that burden, and he took it away. Promise he says that in his scripture. There is no need for you to live in sin. Give it to him. Turn to Christ. He will come in. And he comes in and he fills you with the Holy Spirit, which he promised he would send. And let me tell you what. He seals you with the Holy Spirit. He won't go away. Acknowledge you sin. Turn away from it. And Jesus is your strength and your Savior. He will forgive you and continue this wonderful walk with Jesus Christ and the end is can't be described the end is with Jesus amen Lord Jesus before you are people who don't deserve to be here and yet Lord you've given us this gift of your grace oh Lord we praise you we thank you and Lord I pray that every heart this morning would be committed to you. Lord, we can call it a recommitment. We can call it a first-time commitment. We can call it a mini-commitment, whatever. Lord, many being M-A-N-Y. Lord, we want to commit to you and follow you and act on it, on your love and your grace and your mercies. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that's never made that commitment, Lord, I pray you'll tug on their heart. Lord, you will stir that heart in you, Lord, and move them to make a right choice to follow you with a complete and total commitment. Lord, it's you we honor and glorify and bring glory to and love and fall before, Lord, in all humility. We love you, Lord, and praise you for the precious gift and, Lord, for the precious command of follow me. Lord, we follow you today in our commitment to you. Precious name, we offer this prayer.